Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 212 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Right, let's dive straight into the review part of the show. We're going to start here in Germany um, at the Conlog Arena in Koblenz in Rhenland Pfaus. I think it said could be very wrong, probably am very wrong. Leon Bunn kicks us off 15 and 0 now, 14 and 0 before this fight. It was for the IBF International Light Heavyweight Title. Uh, his opponent Enrico Colin, obviously very very tough guy, been in there with Artur Baturbiev. Really shouldn't have been stopped in the final round of that fight, but that's another story. Uh, he was given his fourth loss now, 26 and 4. It was a unanimous decision for the home fighter, Mr. Leon Bunn. So perhaps one to watch there for the future uh, young guy obviously a prospect with with you know a lot of hype around him at the minute in Germany moving out now though to the Manchester Arena Lancashire United Kingdom um, I'm going to start here with Felix Cash now 12 and 0 it was a TKO in the 8th round against a very gutsy Jack Cullen 17 and 1 now 17 and 2 Felix Cash still undefeated it was for the Commonwealth middleweight title Cullen down in the first round and again in the 7th round Cash was cut on his left eye in round three um very good fight actually really really good fight i thought it'd be a good fight going in i think it it actually lived up to the expectations and more to be honest obviously like i say the, the knockdown in the first round it was a shame for cullen because he he was on top in my opinion before the knockdown and when he got up to be fair i mean cash did try and swarm him kind of thing but even after that after the after the uh you know the swarming from from cash i felt like cullen went on to actually finish the round quite strong you know he started countering nicely but yeah you know it was a 10-8 round for for um for Felix Cash but there's all the argument in the world to make it a 10-9 round because Cullen boxed really nicely despite that knockdown um he did give it his all for the rest of the fight to be honest he, he won a few rounds Cullen but yeah you know even though he had his big moments ultimately Felix Cash was just a bit too good for him um Cash I felt showed maturity that we hadn't seen from him before and you know he, he showed he was the better man respect to both men Jack Cullen can come again Felix Cash perhaps moving up um, you know, to a, to a bit of a bit of a higher level, if if you like. I think Liam Williams has already been calling him out on Twitter. Um, moving down that card once again, let's talk about uh, Terry Harper. She picked up a good win against Vivian Albanalf. Uh, Terry Harper now nine and zero IBO World Female Super Featherweight Champion. Uh, very very dominant actually from Terry Harper. She really showed her class there, and you know that was. 
you know, it was a bit of a gatekeeper kind of fight. Obanelf, she's, you know, she'll expose you if you're not good enough, which she did to Natasha Jonas. But Terry Harbart seems to be the goods. Another female fight on the bill, obviously, Christina Linadartu, I think her name is. She defended her, I, uh, not IBO, her WBO World Female Super Lightweight title. Katie Taylor moved up in weight but got the win. Um, close fight, you know, close fight. Um, two judges had it to. Taylor by four, and um, and and Marcus McDonald had it to Taylor by two. But yeah, it was a real close fight. Some people felt like Leonardo or Leonardo two did enough to win. Um, it it was a toss up, you know. It could have been a draw in my opinion. I wasn't really strictly scoring it, but Katie Taylor once again gets the rub of the green. Um, those two judges, by the way, that gave it. You know, by four rounds, Giustino Di Giovanni, I'm guessing he must be Italian, and also Stefan Nicolo, probably also Italian. Seems like the Italian judges the last few weeks have been absolutely awful. Um, not sure why why they're even, even you know, judging a fight like that, to be honest. Um, also on the bill, we got to see Martin Bacoli. TKO in two rounds, Rodney Hernandez. Hernandez was cut above the left eye in the second round, and... Um, you know, it was it was quite a quite a good performance, I suppose, once again from Bacoli, but you can't really read too much into it because again, this is two knockout wins within a space of about two weeks against two Americans that had about three or four days' notice each. So you can't read much into it. But Rodney Hernandez been in there with some big fighters, big names, and most of the time gone the distance. So on paper that's a great win there. Kez Ashfak, it wasn't televised, unfortunately, but he got a win against Joe Ham. Ashfak now 8-0. It was for the vacant WBA Continental Super Bantamweight title. Ham was down in the third round. Uh, there was a timeout called at the start of the seventh round to allow the referee to inspect a cut above Ham's left eye, um, which which was caused by an accidental head clash in the previous round, I believe. And basically the doctor and the referee decided to, to halt the bout and um, it went to the cards. Kes Ashfak won, so a technical decision there. Um... Yeah, pretty wide, really, to Ashfak. Gamal Yafai got a win as well. He was able to TKO in three rounds. Lee Clayton, so Gamal now 17-1. and one. Uh, Clayton was down twice in that third round. And, of course, the farewell fight. Anthony Crawler, a majority decision um, against Frank Ukiaga. Uh, I think his name is Crawler, cut above the left eye in the very first round. Um, don't feel like he did enough to win it at all. Uh, one judge, of course, Michael Alexander, gave it five rounds to five over ten. Um, one judge, Steve Gray, awful scorecard, eight rounds to two in favor of Crawler, and then Howard Foster, seven rounds to three in favor of Crawler. So very, very, very wide on the cards. Absolutely disgusting, in my opinion. Yes, I love Anthony Crawler, but he didn't win that fight, and um, it's, it's disgraceful to see a card eight rounds to two. Um, it really, really left a, a bitter taste in my mouth, actually, when it was all said and done. I'm not a fan of these farewell fights. I expressed that on Twitter um, um, last week, and I think even on the podcast, perhaps. I mean, what's the point? You know, I said it before. Ricky Burns, in my opinion, was having a farewell fight against Lee Selby, but no one really cared. You know, Lee Selby, I felt, was going to win the fight. He did, and that was it. Ricky Burns shouldn't fight again. He may do. He may do. He's a bit, he's a bit crazy in a good way, Ricky Burns, but... He should call it a day, you know. Uh, Tony Bell, you went out on the high. You know, he lost against Usyk. 
Crawler could have gone out on a high losing against Lomachenko, the best fighter of this era that's still going on now, in my opinion, or certainly up there. Um, but he decided to have a gimme fight, and you know he, he shouldn't have got the victory. So that was a bit a bit wrong in my in my honest opinion. Ayaz, what did you make of that card? Did you watch any of that at all? Yes, I watched the Kate Taylor fight. I think the Kate Taylor fight was really interesting. Obviously, now she's become a two-weight world champion. She's got, um, we can see that Cecilia Barakas, David Paysoon, and all it's all in the uh, um, Shantan Cameron. So she's got a couple of big fights that she could look forward to in 2020 and 2021. Yes, hopefully we see those fights because they will be really interesting. Um, moving out now to the. Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California. Miguel Burchelt was able to win. Very dominant, he looked. A KO in the fourth round against Jason Sosa. I've got to say, I was very impressed, actually, with Burchelt. Um Sosa got battered, really. Um, friend of the show, Sosa. I did want him to win. I think I may have even said it on last week's show. Don't count him out of that, because he's a good boxer. But he was down in the second round and the fourth round, and his corner actually stopped the fight during the fourth. Uh, the towel came in. So um, a good win there for Bashel. He extends that that uh, that streak of wins now thirty seven and one. Of course, a big knockout puncher as well. So he gets another knockout for the books there. Also on that undercard, Alex Salcedo knocked out Rod Salka in a round. Salcedo now twenty nine and one. Rod Salka twenty four and six. Um, moving out now to the MGM National Harbour in Oxon Hill, Maryland, USA. Javier Fortuna, win number 35 for him. He's got two losses and a draw. He actually TKO'd Jesus Cuellar in two rounds. So that's quite impressive in my opinion. Cuellar was down in the first and the second. It was for the vacant WBC Continental America's lightweight title. Uh, also on that bill, Brian Castano, former world champion. He fought for the vacant WBO Intercontinental Super Welterweight title against Wow Omar. Toso. Omatoso actually pulled out. He retired on his store at the end of the fifth round with a injury to his shoulder. So um, a stoppage win there for Castano. Again, a fighter that I want to see in some big, big fights. The Argentinian man, um, really solid amateur. Obviously boxed Lara early on in his career. And um, he was stripped because he didn't agree to fight Michel Soro, I think it was, from France. So, yeah, he lost his belt without actually losing it in the ring, still undefeated. 16-0 and with that one draw to Lara. Uh, also on that card as well, Gary Antoine Russell picked up win number 12. He's now 12-0, and a TKO in two rounds against Juan Huertas, who's now 14-3 and with one draw. And also, Gary Antonio Russell got a knockout in the very first round. He's now 16-0. and It was against Samuel Gutierrez, late notice, I think. 26 losses on his on his slate now. He's got 16 wins and 6 draws, Mr. Gutierrez. Moving out now, though, to the big one at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. Uh, let's start with the undercard. Evan Holyfield made his debut. Yes, it was a first-round TKO against the... the uh, well, the man who's never won a fight in his life. He was 0-1, now he's 0-2. Nick Winstead... Um, there's a lot of kind of divide on if the stoppage was a bit too early. I initially thought it was, but then when I watched it a few times from different angles, I thought, you know what? I don't know if they should have let him continue. So I'm a, I'm a bit on the fence with it, really. Um, not a place I like to find myself too much on the fence, but yeah, you know, it, it, in my opinion, um, you know, was was a bit. It was kind. Of, I can see people being annoyed with it. I can see people defending it. 
Um, but unfortunately, a lot of people are just annoyed with it. So don't want to take the shine away there from Evan Holyfield. But thankfully, it didn't go to the scorecards because I've noticed that Adelaide Bird was one of the judges for that fight. So thank God it didn't go the four rounds. Um, also on the bill, Blair Cobbs now 13-0 and with one draw. He took on Carlos Cervantes, 11-4, and a retirement after six rounds for Cervantes. So Blair Cobbs picks up the win, still undefeated. Wasn't all his own way, though. It was for the vacant NABF welterweight title. Cobbs found himself on the deck in the very first round, a round where he was dominating, in my opinion. Um, it's not the first time he's he's been down and got up and won. You know, he, he's he's full of character, Blair Cobbs. His ring walk, you know, the, the face he had on, he was angry. He was a man on a mission. And um, even in the post-fight interview, he came across real exciting. He fights exciting. Um, he was down in the first round with five seconds to go, pretty much. I mean, he was winning it. He just lost concentration for a second. He was on the floor. I don't think he was hurt. And then, of course, the bell went. Um you know, he does jump in and out of range. Sometimes he walks into shots. He can't really be doing that against the elite punchers at 147. But, you know, he's, he's still on the come up, I suppose, Blair Cobbs. And in that sixth round, the uh, the, the final round of the fight, uh, there was a knockdown. Obviously, Cobbs was, was able to knock um, his opponent down early on in the round. It was a big right hook. And his opponent, you know, got retired by his corner at the end of round six. He signaled to his torso. Perhaps he had a broken rib. I think it kind of got lost in translation, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, moving up the card once again, um, we got to see Sinisa uh, Estrada, I think her name is. She's now 18 and 0. I believe she moved up in weight for Marlena Sparza, who's now 7 and 1. Both girls were undefeated. There was a lot of bad blood. It was for the interim WBA World Female Flyweight title. Ended up being wide on the cards for Estrada, and it was a disgusting, disgusting cut on Esparza's head. And it ended up going to the cards. So a technical decision there in round 9 of a scheduled 10. Also on the bill, Ryan Garcia, now 19-0. Very, very impressive when he beat Romero Duno, obviously. Um, I got the, the story a little bit wrong on last week's show. I said that, you know, the rematch was was, was on. It wasn't a re... Sorry, I said it got rescheduled, um, but it wasn't really a case of being rescheduled. What, what basically happened is Ryan Garcia was supposed to box on, on a particular weekend. So was Duno. They both had different opponents and then Garcia's opponent pulled out last minute so they said you know lots of people have bought tickets to see you Ryan why don't you just fight Duno and we'll just tell his opponent you know sorry but Duno's now stepping up to fight Garcia Garcia's team didn't want to take that fight on a couple days notice because they felt like they had much more to lose than Duno so um people were saying he's ducking Duno Duno's gonna beat him and stuff like that so Ryan Garcia, credit to him, said, you know what, let's make the fight. Let's give each other proper notice. Let's make the fight. And he went and had the fight. It was for the vacant WBC silver lightweight title and the WBO NABO lightweight title. And Garcia got it all done in a round. So very impressive there. Very, very impressive. Romero Duno now 21-2. and Ryan Garcia, I've never doubted that he's got true talent because people look at these pad videos and, um, you know, the fact that he gets loads and loads of women, and it riles people up, people say, yeah, he's just doing this for the for the likes, for the retweets, he's just an Instagram um, boxer, stuff like that, but no, he's not, you look into his amateur career, it was very deep, very, very deep, and I think he had a number of fights against Devin Haney, I think they share the same amount of wins over each other, so it's like 2-2, or 3-3, or something like that, so... That that tells you a lot there, because Devin Haney is a man that everyone rates. 
Um, and hopefully we get to see those fights. And, of course, topping the bill, as I'm going to come to you first here, Canelo Alvarez, 53 wins, one loss and two draws, a knockout in round 11 over Sergei Kovalev. We didn't see it coming. The listeners did. Kovalev now 34-4 and four with one draw, and he's dethroned of his WBO World Light Heavyweight title. Talk to me. I mean, what Canelo, like I say, he's pound for pound great. Uh, pound for pound, in my opinion, number one. It has to be. I mean... A lot from the first three rounds, I had uh, I had Kovalev winning. For me, I had Kovalev winning the fight, and obviously Kovalev was, was doing very, very, very good. And obviously with Canelo, like he was hitting him with the body shots. Uh, Kovalev was jabbing him, and obviously to come towards the end of the round, like, uh, Canelo, Canelo hit, did he hit him with a body shot in the eleventh round? Um, it was no, it was all headshots. Which again, we all we oh, thought the body shots would um, would play yeah. a part, but they didn't. It was all headshots. Yeah, I mean, it was a brilliant body. It was a brilliant headshot, and obviously knocked Kovalev out. He's the best fighter of our generation, I have to say. Obviously, we know Floyd Mayweather. Um, his only record is where he's one loss. He's got a record of one loss to Floyd Mayweather, but he lo- only he lost that when he was very very young, and Floyd Mayweather drained his body, coming down to one fifty four. But now, if you look at Canelo. A lot, a lot of people are saying he should fight Batavia, Bivor. There's a talk, rumor talk of him fighting Billy Joe Saunders and Cinco de Mayo. If I was him personally, um, I, will, I, I want to see the fight between him versus Bivor because I think that would be a brilliant bust-up. Yeah, um, I think I think, I think, think he he uh, drained Canelo down to 152. I think it was a catchweight. But yeah, you're right. Um, you know, people People have been tweeting this week saying it just goes to show how good Floyd was. Yeah, I mean, that is true, but, you know, Canelo wasn't what he is now back then when he fought Floyd. Floyd got him at the right time when he was still a kid, and I'm not taking nothing away from Floyd. Unbelievable. He absolutely schooled Canelo, um, unless, of course, your name is CJ Ross, where you had it a draw. But, um, yeah, unbelievable performance from Floyd. Canelo's come on and on and on and on. He's in the prime of his life. There's a real shout now for him being pound for pound number one, actually, after that. I've got to say, unbelievable performance. We did think that the body shots would play a part, and it was quite shocking to see that, you know, the headshots was what actually did it for him. Um, let me talk us through the fight real quick, though. The first round, Kovalev came out doing what he should have been doing. He was, you know, he was sticking to the jab. He, he kept the smaller man at bay. He was controlling the distance. He was fainting. Um, he let a couple of right hands go, nothing too big. Canelo didn't really do much at all. It was a clear Kovalev round. Again, in the second round for me, Kovalev won the round. The size seemed to be a big problem for Canelo. Canelo did have a bit more success in the second round, though. Um, you know, because nothing really happened for him in the first at all. But it still wasn't enough to win in the round. The third round, a round I felt like Canelo may have just about nicked. Um, he was constantly coming forward. He was on the front foot. Um... Kovalev was outworking him at times. It was a toss-up round. I think a lot of people gave that round to Kovalev, actually, including the Sky commentary team, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the fourth round, Canelo, for me, had his best round at that point. He started landing nice counter-punches on the inside. He hit the body of the crusher a couple of times, too. It was good work. It was smart work. Round five, again, a Canelo round for me. I felt like Kovalev did land some of his best shots in that round at that point. But um, again, for me, Kovalev nicked it. He was out working Crusher. Um, sixth round, the pressure was starting to get to Kovalev. You could see it. He did start to get on the front foot at the back end of the round, but he was dominated by Canelo. Canelo was starting to dictate the pace of the fight as well. So I had it 4-2 to Canelo, I believe. The seventh round for me, a Canelo round. Again, he was picking up the volume. Good work from him. It was masterful boxing. Um, Kovalev completely neglected his jab. 
he wasn't pushing Canelo back. He was backing up himself too much. He was respecting Canelo way too much, I felt. The eighth round, um, I felt like Kovalev might have done enough to nick it. It was, again, a bit of a toss-up for me. The ninth round, Kovalev certainly won it. Canelo did seem to slow down himself. Um, I felt like it was a big chance for Kovalev to get back in control. Uh, the tenth round, Canelo won that round for me. So I think I had it around about 6-4, something like that. And then, of course, in the 11th round, uh, that's to Canelo, by the way. And in the 11th round, wow. I mean, Canelo hit Kovalev with a right hand to the temple. And he just looked a tiny bit unsteady. I saw something in his body language. I think his leg just buckled a little bit. The commentary team didn't initially pick up on it, as quick as I did anyway. And I wasn't even sure that Canelo did. But then, boom, you know, Canelo threw a massive left hook to the chin of Kovalev. And he was literally out on his feet. And Canelo landed a right hand at free will to send... Uh, Kovalev crashing down to the cu- to the canvas, and the referee Russell Mora waved it off straight away. Um, I was gutted for Kovalev, to be honest. I, I I wanted to see him, you know, to see him get a good win. Um, again, that's probably it for Kovalev. I think he should probably retire now. I mean, what's the point? You know, he's he's always going to be in the Who Needs Him Club if he doesn't have a belt. You know, even when he had a belt, he was in the Who Needs Him Club. You know, <laughs> a lot of people didn't want to fight him, including Adonis Stevenson, in my honest opinion. But, um, yeah, I mean, who's going to want to fight him now? I mean, what's what, what does he do? You know, he hasn't got a belt now. He's going to be the B-side. I think he should just end it there, in my opinion. But he may carry on. I think he's signaled, perhaps, that he does want to carry on. Um, yeah, you're right. I think Canelo arguably is pound-for-pound pound number one now. And I just couldn't believe he got the knockout with headshots and not body shots. Very, very impressive from Canelo. The size difference was incredible on the night. Does he stay at 175? If he does, I'd love to see the Bivol fight. Bivol's talked about it. Bivol even said he'd go down to 168. Um, will he make 160 again? Will he Will he be able to lose 15 pounds and go back down? Maybe. You know, he seemed like he, he grew into the weight a little bit in terms of packing on the muscle. Um, Paterbiev, I think that's a, that's a bad fight for him stylistically. But hey, it could happen. We want to see those fights, bad styles or not. Um... That's about everything. I think that we've covered everything there. Um, literally one point gained for the listeners last week. That was it. We only predicted on one fight. It was the Canelo fight. The listeners went with Canelo by KO. Myself and Uias both went with Canelo on points. So we didn't get anything. The listeners have now overtaken Iaz on the Prediction League. I think 16 points to Iaz is 15. But that is how we wrap up part one. The last thing, of course, is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the top heavyweight contender and self-proclaimed people's champion is, of course, Mr. Michael Hunter. Mike, welcome back on the show. Oh, man, thank you for having me. How, how's everything? Everything is great, my friend. Everything is great always when I'm speaking with you. So we last spoke, Mike, back in uh, early August. It was just before the Kuzmin fight. Uh, you know, that fight was, was a real test. Some people saw it as a 50-50 fight going in. However, you managed to dominate the fight. You managed to score a, uh, an excellent knockdown with a beautiful shot. He was a tough guy, Kuzmin. What did you make of your performance on the night, Mike? Um, You know, uh, when I first... After my first um, initial thoughts, I, you know, I, I kind of gave myself a, a C plus or something. Um, you know, I'm like, I'm like my hardest critic. So, yeah, I, I kind of still st- stick with that. I, I, I know that I, there's other gears to me, you know. So, we've just been working on trying to get that those gears out of me uh, for this fight and continue, uh, you know, training hard and, and maximizing my potential. 
And of course, after that win, you were rumoured for a long time to, to be on, on that Joshua Ruiz rematch undercard in Saudi. You're now on the bill. You'll be boxing Alexander Povetkin. This fight is, you know, an absolutely excellent fight for the fans. What do you know about Povetkin as a fighter? And how tough is this fight compared to your cruiserweight battle with Alexander Usyk? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> Um, I think this is going to be a much easier fight, actually, than than the Usyk fight. Um, as far as you know, me being a little, a lot more experienced, you know, you know, older, I'm stronger, I'm faster. Uh, so, I think this fight is going to be a little easier than 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 uh, the Usyk fight. Uh, but this guy is a, a tremendous, uh, you know, he has tremendous accolades, uh, just like you know my last opponent. Uh, he has, you know, tremendous willpower, uh, tremendous amateur background and professional um, background. So this is not going to be an easy test for me. I, I definitely know that. Um, and this guy doesn't, he, he doesn't lay down for for nothing. So I know he's coming to fight. He's coming to win. And uh, he's like, the, you know, he's, he's like the old bull, you know what I'm saying? So he, he's, he's going to be there. And again, this it's be and, and again, this fight has been, you know, it's been received really, really well. What I've seen online, people are saying, you know, this is the juiciest fight by far on the undercard, and it's a good undercard. But people are saying this is the number one fight. Um, you know, boxing fans are loving your attitude. You've got that, you know, that throwback fighter type mentality where you just box pretty much anyone, anytime, any place. Um, everyone's loving you. Um, what's it, what's it? How does it feel to be to be a guy that at the minute in the heavy weight division is is a lot of people's you know favorite favorite guy really i mean everyone's loving you apart from apart from probably a few people in russia because you seem to keep targeting their their best heavyweight <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, i've had even in the amateurs i've had like a you know a thing for russians <laughs> so but um yeah I, I i enjoy i really enjoy um being that guy to be, you know, being the underdog and, and overstepping and, and, you know, coming out, um, you know, successful when they didn't think I was, you know, would do it. So that always is a, um, tickles me, you know what I'm saying? I, I enjoy that. You know, but I, on the other hand, I also like, you know, being the favorite and everybody, you know, enjoying it and um, liking um, my progress and what I do, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm just here, like anybody else, just trying to work as hard as I can. So... Um, you know, I, I'm 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 here to stay, man. I'm not going anywhere. So, I see all you fans and all you know, all you haters. Come watch me December seventh. You know, it's going to be a great show regardless. So, and again, you've been racking up those air miles in your last few fights. You boxed in the UK against Bacoli in Monaco, against Ustinov in America twice, against Maldonado and Kuzmin, and now again going to Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, you're 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 kind of a boxing fans boxer, in in my opinion, a hardcore boxing fans type of boxer. You know, you like displaying your talent all over the place. Do you enjoy all this traveling, Mike, or or is it a little bit annoying? No, no, you know, um, you know, that's kind of what we're used to in the amateurs traveling, uh, you know, not knowing who you're going to fight and uh, when you're going to fight them and stuff like that. You might know who's in the tournament, but you know, you know, you don't know, you don't get to pick and choose. So these things are, are not new to me. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just like that, that gritty guy. I'm just, I'm ready. You know what I'm saying? At any time, you know, my dad was like that, you know, I come from that, that real, I'm a real fighter, you know what I'm saying? So it's it's going to be a great night, man. I, I plan to knock this guy out 
and make a giant statement and, uh, you know, and continue to keep rolling. You know, they, these guys, have, I mean, people have always counted me out. Um, people don't know who I am, you know what I'm saying? So those, a lot of those guys are counting me out. But, you know, let's rumble, you know, put the gloves on. And, again, you were, I'm guessing, starting to kind of get your training camp for this fight in order. And then, to my understanding, the phone rang, and on the other end was Andy Ruiz. And one thing led to another. You're now working in his training camp. How did that all come about, Mike? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was actually, that was kind of, um, you know, I was just working out my own training camp, trying to figure out how, you know, and when and where and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, I got a call from Andy. Uh, and his, oh, his team, you know, not necessarily him, but his team asking me, uh, you know, if if I would like to join the camp and stuff, or I would, I, I could help them out. And, uh, you know, I had my, you know, I had my own camp and my own, you know, stuff to get ready for. So I wasn't really there to try to be a sparring partner. So they, you know, they said they would help me and accommodate me for anything that I needed. And it, it would just be, you know, camp, we'd be all doing camp together. You know, we're all fighting in the same place. So, they really embraced me, and you know I've always had a good relationship with Andy Ruiz and and, his, and Big Andy, Andy Senior, and uh, also his coach um, Manny. Um, so uh, I guess it was just a good fit for them, and 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 also us too. So uh, you know, as as far as far away from um, you know from my home, and and uh, you know, so it, it gives us a good. It's a, this is good. It's the, probably the best sparring I could have gotten. For, for this type of, um, you know, for this fight, uh, you know, so I just have to add everything else on to it. So I, I think this is, was a perfect, uh, a perfect, uh, it just worked out perfectly. You know, I think Andy's very similar to, uh, you know, Povetkin as far as uh, the approach, you know. Uh, there's some things that are slightly different, but uh, I can get some, some of the same looks from uh, Andy Ruiz that I'm going to be seeing from uh, Povetkin. So I thought, it, I think it was just a perfect fit and it was, it was very easy to uh, make it, especially when they embraced me like they did. So, And how does Andy look in his preparations for this rematch? Um, obviously everyone's talking about he's, you know, he's, he's in much better looking shape now. How is he looking in the, in the build up to this, to this second fight? You know, um, he looks great. He's always, a, he's, I've said it before. He's always, uh, he's always fought in, at a heavy weight, you know, at that size. Um, he is he is a little smaller, you know, getting a little more toned and stuff like that. Um, you know, I heard Anthony is, is trying to lose some weight, taking, um, you know, Andre Ward and, you know, other people's, also other people's advice of trying to stop bulking and stuff. So I think it's going to go well with Andy Ruiz's plan is to drop a little weight as well uh, so he can get the speed. You know, I think they – they bulked up in the, in the last fight uh, because of the weight, you know, and they knew Andy was, I mean, they knew Anthony was going to be big. So I think it, it, it goes right along with this, with the, uh, with the plans, you know, it's, it's just perfect. So he's looking really good. He, he's a very, you know, he's super strong. He's a, uh, he has great timing and uh, you know, he, he, he's there. He's not going to lay down. He's, he's there to win. You know what I'm saying? So, and I, I mean, obviously he showed that in the first fight. So, you know, we never know who who's going to win when it comes to the night of the fight. But right now, everything is in prep. I mean, all his preparation and everything uh, is in line for him right now to do what exactly what he's supposed to be doing. So, you know, um, you know, it only takes one bad day. You know, and it doesn't have to be the the night of the fight either. Uh, 
uh, it could it be, you know, during sparring or, you know, some little energy that turns over. But right now at this point, um, you know, everything is going as planned, I, I would say. And I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. How do you see the rematch playing out, Mike? <laughs> like I said, it's, this is a – I think, um, you know, Anthony has – see, the thing I think with Anthony, he, he has to have a, a determination. He has to have, like, some animosity, some type of grudge, I guess, uh, to, um, to compete at his best, I, I think. Um, that's just my opinion. I, I, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, put facts on the man. So, but, you know, just from my observation – that's kind of what I see. So I think he, and I think, you know, he has, he has a good reason now, you know what I'm saying? I think that one of the reasons why he did take that L is because he kind of overlooked it and, you know, it just was, you know, another day to him, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, some people, you know, when you, when you're, when you're at that pedestal and you're up there like that, you could t- t- tend to let things get over your head, you know, even if you're still working hard and you're still a humble person, certain things could slip through the track uh, cracks. So um, I think this fight is definitely going to be a very different fight than the first one, but I can see it playing out the same way. You know what I'm saying? Uh, there's a lot of different things that as far as, um, you know, uh, it depends on, you know, who's going to implement the game plan the, the night of the fight. You know what I'm saying? All the preparation and all that stuff is, is there to, you know, to continue with the game plan, but, you know, everybody got a plan until they get hit. You know, so we'll see. And talking, I, I really, I really can't call it this one. <laughs> okay, that's cool. The, the, the last time I, I kind of, I've kind of um, was favoring. Uh, well, to me, I kept talking about Andy Ruiz, but I kind of was favoring Anthony Joshua because of everybody's, you know, forced opinions. Uh, but I, I did see that he wasn't going to be laying down Andy Ruiz, no, and it wasn't going to be an easy fight. So. But this time, I, I really think that um, it, if uh, Anthony Joshua sticks to um, making it nice and easy for himself, then he he could be uh, he could prevail. So, uh, but you know, you never know. It's, it's very hard to say with all the pressure and all these things that are going on. You don't know how the guy is taking it, and and I think it kind of I think it's kind of really up to Anthony as far as his attitude and his um, and, and his mentality uh, that night of the fight. Yeah, I mean, like I say, a brilliant, brilliant fight to, to cap off what's been a great year um, in boxing. Um, but yeah, you were one of the few guys that really did give Andy a, a big shot in the first fight, despite what everyone said. Um, coming down to the last real question now, Mike, talking of rematches, Deontay Wilder versus Luis Ortiz, number two, November 23rd. Are you happy that the rematch is happening in that fight, or are you not? are you not really interested in seeing that again? Um, you know, I could take it or leave it. Actually, I'm I'm on I'm on the fence. I, I um, you know, I'm I'm happy for Ortiz that he get he you know he gets another shot. Um, you know he, I don't know how long it's been since the last fight, but it's been at least a year. Um, you know, and when when you get to the age that he's at, which nobody really knows, <laughs> but when you get to the age, <laughs> we know he's old though. <laughs> Uh, when you get to when you get about that age, you know every every day counts. You know every year is 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 a big year. So uh, this could either be his his big bang or <laughs> or his big bang. <laughs> he could be you know he could be out of there 
So you never really know. You know, some, you know, you know, fighters, we supposedly get old in the night of, a, you know, in one day. So uh, I, I think, you know, as far as the energy and tenacity and, you know, liveliness, uh, I think Deontay, I mean, should, he should be able to pull it off. He's already pulled it off one time. And, um, you know, so he's even more confident than ever. And um, it's hard to break that once, once you've, um, you know what I'm saying, once, you know, you, you have that inside you. And, and he, uh, Deontay, is a, he goes off of his confidence anyway. He's a, he's a, um, he goes off of his, his confidence and his, his ego. So, um, you know, it's going to be hard to beat him that night. I think Deontay, I, I give Deontay the edge just a little bit on this one. Yeah, I think I agree. You've got to give him the edge. Um, part of me respects him a lot for taking a risky fight, whereas, you know, Tyson Fury's had a couple of kind of, well, you know, they've been almost gimme fights, if you like, and, and lately he's been fighting in the in the WWE. So I do give Deontay a lot of credit for taking a risky fight, but at the same time, I'm a bit like, what's really the point? I mean, you know, Ortiz had some great moments, but he, he didn't put Deontay down. Deontay, to his credit, stayed on his feet and got the job done. So I'm a bit, I'm a bit on the fence like yourself. But finally, Mike, just before I let you go, any closing words to our listeners? Like like you know, there's there's loads and loads and loads of Hunter um, admirers over here. What's your, what's your message? to your fans that will be tuning in December 7th and of course backing you for the win well eat your vegetables <laughs> eat your vegetables and watch watch your boy you know plant based um, fighter kick kick some butt um, December 7th you know follow me on my Instagram and um, look out for you know December 7th and watch me put on a great performance absolutely listen Mike it is always a pleasure catching up with you my friend you know that best of luck for December 7th in Saudi Arabia and I'm sure that we'll catch up sometime after the fight yep thank you for having me okay now it's time for part two on this week's show just before we get into that let's go to you guys with the latest news the latest news that Nicola Adams has retired from boxing yeah a bit of a shock really um firstly her her amateur you know her amateur boxing career is just unbelievable absolutely fantastic you know to win two gold medals in boxing was amazing uh, she had a high profile she had some good sponsors uh, obviously she you know she was on a load of panel shows and stuff she you know she comes across great all the time i i really was a massive fan of hers um obviously she turned pro she had a few, a few problems outside of the ring. In 2018 of last year, she boxed Isabel Milan for the interim WBO World Female Flyweight title. She won the fight. Um, she didn't have it all her own way. She won the fight unanimously, though, and that was for the interim belt. Then, of course, you know she ended up getting elevated to the full champion when the full champion, for some reason, didn't defend her belt. It seemed a little bit weird. Um, I'm not sure why a woman would want to just vacate her title like that and not have a big fight against Nicola, Nicola Adams. Never really made sense. And um, she strong-armed her way in, really, along with Frank Warren, to become a full world champion without actually having a fight for it. And then, of course, she defended it against Maria Salinas in her last fight at the Royal Albert Hall back in September. And it was a real close fight. You know, it was a it was a split draw. So she retained it, but you know, she didn't win a fight, so she's never actually won a genuine world title fight, she had one, and it was a draw, and she of course retires now, a undefeated world champion, so a lot of people are saying that that's wrong and stuff like that, even in the post-fight interview at ringside, right after the fight, she said, we need to do a rematch, and I thought, do you know what, 
Great attitude. Give the girl a rematch. People were booing in the in the venue. They felt like Selena's won. That'd be brilliant if you give her a rematch, but she's not going to do that. She's decided to retire with a record of five and zero with one draw. So it seems like her career has been massively cut short. Um, even though she looks really young, she she retired at the age of thirty seven. Um, but it's just a shame because you've got to say she's probably an underachiever because she she you know, had a had a really bright future. You felt like she'd probably win a world title, perhaps even clear out a division. She had quite a weak division, I felt, um, if I remember correctly. I think it's, is it flyweight or super flyweight she was boxing at? So, just seems a real shame. It really does seem a right shame. So, I felt she'd move through the weights, be very active, but I haven't read her full statement. I don't know if an injury has forced her to do this or her love of boxing is gone. I don't know. I don't know. But we wish her the best. She, uh, like I say, always came across good. And, um, you know, it's just a shame, really, that we didn't get to see the rematch. I hope that Selinas gets to fight for the vacant belt in the near future because I felt like she certainly deserved another shot for sure. The next news is that WBC Super Bantamweight champion Ray Vargas and flyweight mandatory Julio Cesar Martinez have tested positive for minutes trace elements of Glenn Butrell in Vada tests. However, the WBC have decided not to take no action as they believe it was due to contaminating Mexican meat, as with Canelo in 2018. Yes, very bad news. Um, that that kind of throws into question um, Charlie Edwards' um, no contest fight, obviously against Martinez. You know, he he tested positive so Charlie's come out and said yeah I knew he was on the stuff um, Andrew Selby obviously lost to Martinez as well so it kind of throws his defeat into question um, Ray Vargas you know a brilliant fighter such a long un- undefeated streak for him it throws it all into question you know so um, it's terrible I mean if, if it's in the system in my opinion you should be banned it's up to you, you know it's up to you what's in your system um it's down to you. You should have to pay the price. It was a minute finding, okay, but it just—it's not good enough, you know. This Mexican meat thing—it seems like if you're Mexican, then you can get away with it. It's—it's it's, it's really wrong. Um, but I don't really know enough about the situation and stuff like that. I just feel for people like Charlie Edwards and for Andrew Selby and you know Ray Vargas, obviously former um, former opponent of of. Um, of Gavin McDonnell, even though he beat Gavin McDonnell fairly comfortably, you know you've got to feel for these guys who have who have probably been fighting on an unlevel playing field. We don't want to see that in boxing. No time for that at all. Yep, yeah, uh, Tony Harrison will face Jamel Charlo for the WBC Super Welterweight on December the twenty-first at the Toyota Arena in Ontario. Yes, um, it's good to see the rematch is taking place. Obviously. Um, Harrison dethroned Charlo. There was a lot of people that were moaning about the scorecards. Some people felt like it was a bit controversial. Um, it was a close fight, but it's good to see the rematches taking place because if there's any controversy, then we should see a second fight. Um, there's been a lot of fights that haven't had that controversy, and we've seen a second fight anyway, you know. So it's good that the fight is finally happening despite quite a few delays for whatever reason, and um, made a best man win. Hopefully there's no controversy come the fight date. And uh, yeah, all the best to Tony Harrison. I hope he pulls it off again, friend of the show. Eddie Hearn has launched a match from Spain with his first show set for December the 12th in Barcelona. Sandor Martin will defend his European Super League title against Joe Hughes, and David, Avian- David Avanesian will defend his European title against Jose Del Rio. 
Yeah, it's good to see Avanesian on the road once again in Spain. I don't know if he's loved over there or hated because he's beaten um, Lejaraga twice now. But um, yeah, Sandor Martin, a fighter that I know about as well. Um, not a bad fighter, to be honest. He's one of Spain's best, which doesn't say too much, being respectful to, to the people of Spain there. But um, in his last fight, I mean, you, you might know his, his last opponent, he beat Andrea Scarpa, who, of course, I think boxed, was it John Wayne Hibber and O'Hara Davies, I think? Um, he actually made Scarpa retire on his stall. That was back in July of this year. So, not a bad fighter. He lost to Anthony Yidget. And um, one of his other losses came early in his career to Alexandre Lapelle. So, not a bad fighter. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a fantastic card. But yeah, Avanesian invades Spain once again. Yeah, Francisco Patera has, has been ordered to defend his European lightweight title against Lee Selby next. Wow, I didn't know that. That's the first time I've heard of that. But that's good. That's good to see. Um, someone was talking about it on Twitter the other day. Who did they say? I can't remember who it was now. Um... Oh, I've got to find it because they deserve a mention, actually. Um, bear with me just a sec. Someone said who he should defend against. I think it was... Yeah, Ricky Burns. Ricky Burns against um, against Patera. If Ricky Burns were to carry on. You know, a big fight in Scotland for the, for the European title. Um, yeah. I mean, if he does carry on, that would have been a good fight for him. That one was from at GBFletch23. I like that one. But um, yeah, he's he's going to defend it against Selby. That's a, that's an interesting fight, to be honest. If Selby doesn't win, then he should call it a day. Definitely, definitely, he should be beating Patera, and I think he will. I think stylistically, he's probably cut out really for Lee Selby. I think Lee Selby can box and move, and um, you know, win that one on points. In my opinion, he certainly should beat him if he's got any left in the tank, Selby. Yeah, the December the seventh card has uh, undercard has been announced. Um, Philip Hergovic will face Eric Molina. John O'Carroll will face Scott Quigg, and Mark, Marco Hunter will face Alexander Povetkin. Yeah, solid undercard. Um, obviously, we spoke to Michael Hunter earlier on in the show, but, um, you know, that's a brilliant fight. Quigg against John O'Carroll, good fight, but I think Quigg wins that one with ease. I think Quigg is... Um, I mean, do you know what? Do you know what? I think Quigg wins it with ease. I think Quigg will, will probably beat him on points, probably. But that will make for a good fight because John O'Carroll is a guy that comes forward a hell of a lot and so is Quig. So that'll be quite exciting, I think, actually. Um, and, of course, Hergovic against Molina. I, I, I thought Molina was still banned by a UCAD, but whatever. All the best to Molina, friend of the show. Lovely guy, actually. Um, for those that may not know, while he was getting ready to fight Deontay Wilder in the biggest fight of his life, he was still attending the school where he's a teacher at for disabled kids, so um, he he may even still be a teacher at the school, he, 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 you know, he's dedicated a lot of his life to being a teacher for disabled children, so good, good guy, Eric Molina, and he always gets my respect, I'd love him to beat Hergovic, but of course Hergovic looks, looks a little bit special in my opinion. Um, any other news, Ayaz? Elida Alvarez will face Michael Seals in a light heavyweight clash on January the 18th at Turning Stone in Verona, New York. Yeah, the Turning Stone, Resort and Casino, um, Alida Alvarez, you know, since losing to Kovalev, hasn't done anything. That was earlier this year. Um, that's going to be his one fight of 2019, because this fight that you're mentioning happens, like you say, January 18th, 2020. Sounds crazy to be talking about fights in uh, in 2020 already, but we're, we're nearly there. <laughs> Amazing how quick this year's gone. 
Um, so yeah, Alvarez looks to get back in the ring there. He takes on Michael Seals. I think Alvarez should have way too much for him. Um, we forget that, because I was looking at Seals and he's 37 years of age. And I think, wow, that's pretty old. But then you look and uh, Alida Alvarez is 35 himself. Do you know what I mean? So <laughs> both guys combined age of 72. <laughs> but yeah, um, Michael Seals, you know, he's a, he's a big puncher, but I don't think... He will have anything to really pose a threat to Elida Alvarez. I mean, he's been in there with Edwin Rodriguez and got knocked out in three rounds. So I think, you know, Alvarez is a bit a bit above the likes of Rodriguez, in my opinion. Um, is that everything for the news, Ayaz? Or... Yep, that's it for the news. Okay, thank you very much. Ayaz, moving on to the preview part of the show now. Saturday at the St. Mary's Band Club, I think it's happening in New South Wales, Australia. Lucas Brown, former heavyweight world champion, 28-2. and two. He's in a four-rounder against John Hopoot, who is 12-6. and six. Um, This one is, I cannot stress it enough, this one is an absolutely excellent card. Shout out to Lee Eaton of MTK. This one takes place at the York Hall in Bethnal Green, London. It's a complete sellout, but you'll have to watch it on ESPN Plus or on IFL TV. Um, on the undercard, George Fox, the son of Don Charles, 2-0. He's in a four-rounder against Artur Kubiak, who's 2-3. Um, Daniel Egbonike, I saw him the other day when I was driving. He was uh, on the pavement walking. Anyway, he's 5-0. He fights for the vacant Southern Area Super Lightweight title against Billy Allington, who's 8-0 with two draws. Great fight. Danny Dignam, 11-0, steps up against Comrade Cummins, 17-3 with one draw. That one's for the vacant WBO European middleweight title. Excellent fight. Liam Walsh, 22-1. Again, that one lost to Javonte Davis. I was ringside for that one. Uh, it's for the vacant WBO European lightweight title against Maxi Hughes, 19-4 and four with two draws. Very, very good fight, that one. Um, Michael McKinson, 17-0. He's got a world ranking, I think, with a WBC, I think it is. He's in a 10-rounder against another guy who's ranked, I think it's a couple places above him, in the same ranking. So I think it's, I think they're both ranked with a WBC. If it's not the WBC, then it's the WBO or the IBF or the WBA. <laughs> it's one of the governing bodies anyway. It's like number five against number two in, in the same rankings here. Um, and the the guy I'm talking about, ranked number two or whatever, Luis Veron, 17-0 also, but with two draws. That's a 10-rounder there. So brilliant fights, brilliant 50-50 fights just mentioned. And also to top it off, Chantel Cameron, 11-0. She takes on Anihi um, or An Anahi, I think it is. Anahi Esther Sanchez, 19-4 over 10 two-minute rounds. That name may ring a bell, and that is because she's been in there with a couple of other ladies that are at the very top of their game, um, including, of course, uh, Katie Taylor that we mentioned earlier on in the show. But yeah, Anihi Sanchez, a bit of a puncher actually, to be honest, for women's boxing. Uh, she's also shared the ring with Jessica McCaskill earlier this year as well. But um, yeah, you'd expect, and also Eva Wallstrom. She's a former world champion herself. She held the IBF belt at Super Feather. But um, yeah, you'd expect if she, you know, if she is the goods, which I think she is, then um, you'd expect Chantel Cameron to to, to win well. Wham Bam Shan, I love that. I love that nickname. I'm a big fan of hers, by the way. Uh, moving out now to the 
Chancy Park, I think it said, in Fresno, California, USA. Friend of the show, friend of everyone's. He's a he's one of the very best guys in the sport. Jamel Herring, twenty and two. It's for his WBO World Super Featherweight title against Lamont Roach Jr. Nineteen and zero with one draw, undefeated Lamont Roach Jr. Very very good amateur. Great fight, actually, that one. It's gone under the radar, obviously, with other fights taking place and stuff like that. But trust me, that's a great, great fight. That one could go either way. I hope that Herring does get the job done. Um, it's that same fight card where Herring's giving away loads and loads of tickets to military personnel and stuff like that. On the undercard of that, we get to see Kubrat Pulev, 27-1, take on Rydell Booker, 26-2 and over 10. Um, also on the card, we get to see... Um, Amir Imam take on Marcos Majika um, and Rabisi Ramirez, obviously the gold medalist. He turned pro and on his debut he, he lost a split decision over four rounds. He bounces back against um, Fernando Deanda, who's actually two on one. So that could be interesting. Got to watch Rabisi Ramirez. It's uh, it's shocking what's happened since he's turned pro. Uh, moving out now, of course, to the Staples Center in LA, California, USA. Let's start with the undercard. We've got Nikita Ababi, seven and zero. He's in a six rounder against Jonathan Batista, nineteen and fifteen. Um, Diego Pacheco, 6-0. and He's in a six-rounder against Aaron Casper, who's 5-3. and Billy Joe Saunders, 28-0, and takes on Marcelo Cosares, who's 28-0 and with one draw. Of course, that's for Billy Joe's WBO World Super Middleweight title. Um, I think we talked about this fight before. I said it's a, it's a bad, bad fight. You know, I know that this guy is um, in the rankings or whatever. I think he's in the rankings anyway. I'm not sure if he is, to be completely honest. Um, he's he's not a great fighter, you know, a very, very padded record. Um, you look down his record, as I'm doing right now, once again, and there's absolutely no standout names at all. Not not a chance, actually, has Coceres got against Billy Joe Saunders. Um, and, of course, topping that bill, KSI against... No, I'm not even going to talk about it. Forget about that. Ayaz, by the way, are you going to be chipping in for this pay-per-view? You're going to be putting your hand in your pocket, KSI, Logan Paul? No, because I, I don't think it should be a pay-per-view fight. It's two YouTubers. Two YouTubers. Two YouTubers. Yeah, which I think it's... I think... Which I, which I, which I don't think is a pay-per-view fight. you got this, and then next month you got uh, the Anthony Joshua fight. Is this really a pay-per-view fight? No, it should be a Sky Sports, uh, just a normal fight. I don't even think it should be on Sky Sports. I think it should go back to YouTube. But anyways, um, leaving it there, the final bill to mention takes place at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas. James Kirkland tops the bill 33-2 and against Jazz Phipps, who's 10-7 and with two draws. What on earth is going on there? But the big shout-out on the undercard to Selena Barrios, 6-1. and She's in a six-two-minute round contest against Alison Martinez, who's 1-3. and Selena Barrios... Looks like a bit of an easy touch, really, for her. Um, of course, she is the sister of Mario Barrios. I really got a lot of time for Selena. Very good fighter. Uh, that is everything, though, for this week's podcast. In terms of us talking, there is one last thing to do. You know what it is if you've listened before. It is time to welcome our second and final guest on this week's show. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBA super lightweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Regis Progre. Regis, welcome back on the show, my friend. Thank you, brother. Thank you, man. Glad to be back. Glad to have you back, Regis. So we last spoke, of course, in September. It was just before the Taylor fight. Uh, so let's get let's get down to it. It wasn't to be your night in the end. A majority decision loss for yourself against Taylor. Uh, firstly, how did you assess mm-hmm. your performance on the night, Regis? Very close fight. 
Um, I mean, first off, um, I thought I did up the win. First off, you know, I don't, you know, like usually, like when a person takes a loss, you know, they 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 hold their head down and they mope around. They don't show their face and stuff. For me, it's not like that. Like I really felt like I actually felt like I won the fight, and I didn't get it. I, I'm not a, I'm not, you know, even after the fight. I got on, you know, and I was just like, you know, the better man won, and I, and I still feel like that, you know, I still felt like I won, but he got a decision, and I'm not a sore loser. I cannot, I, I won't get on, and I won't say, oh, I, y'all cheated me, y'all robbed me. I know it was a close fight. I thought I did enough to win. I heard him a few times, you know. I, I still thought I did enough to win. I actually, I have the punch stats and stuff. I outlanded him. I did, you know. Um, I, I thought I did enough to win the fight, but I didn't get the decision, so I'm not complaining about it. Um. But as far as the fight went, man, I, I just felt like I let it slip out of my hands because I had them, I had them buzzed, I had them hurt, I had, I had clothes, and I just felt like you know I, I let the fight go, you know I, I, I fought the wrong fight, especially in the middle round. I fought the wrong type of fight. I played into his hands, like I stayed in. Well, even before that, like the earlier rounds, like I was out boxing them easy. It was real easy for me. I was out boxing them. I was standing outside. I was hitting them. He couldn't really touch me. He couldn't touch my head movement and stuff like that. But then he, I remember he put his hands up. He brought it to me real hard, and we started fighting. We started fighting on the inside a lot. And I remember going back to the corner, and I told my coach, he can't hurt me. Like, don't get me wrong. He's strong. He hit hard. But I was like, he cannot hurt me. So, for me, if you can't hurt me, I'm a, I can take your punches all day, which is not a smart thing to do, of course. It was a, it was a brave fight, but it wasn't, it wasn't a smart to do that, you know, because I was just letting him hit. Most of the time, I was just letting him hit me because I knew he couldn't hurt me. So, um, but that, you know, like I said, I think he gained a, he gained momentum when he was doing that. But that was like kind of my plan just to let him, you know, let's stay on the inside. We're going to trade on the inside. And I thought he was going to wear down. I thought he was really going to wear down. I thought he was going to get tired. And then I was going to take him out in the late rounds. I really thought I was going to stop him. Um, so that's kind of, but, you know, of course, he, he came, he was in shape and he was a warrior and he took a lot of punches also, you know. He was tougher. He was definitely tougher than I thought because I, I was hitting him with some, you know, I, I really thought before going into the fight, I thought, man, as soon as I land a punch on this dude, a hard punch, like I'm I'm going to hurt him. I'm going to stop him. And, um, I mean, like I said, I wobbled, I wobbled him maybe like two times. And I remember hitting him to the body like once and I heard him like make that, uh, that, that sound when you know it hurt. Um, but, but still, man, he was tough. And the, the main, the, one of the biggest things he had is his recuperative powers. Like, you know, he got hurt and he came right back. He was, he was still strong after that. So, um, but like I said, man, I, I, I thought I did enough to win the fight, but you know, I didn't get the, I didn't get the nod this time. And, I'm not tripping, you know, and, and this is a fight for the ages. This is, you know, I'm, I'm, I always dreamed about being in a fight like this, being in, involved in, you know, just, just this type of fight. I think this, this, this fight will go down, you know, like a, like a Duran and Leonard, like a, a, a Tommy Hearns and um, Marvin Hagler, you know, like a, a Toro Gotti and, and um, Mickey Ward. You know, I think this type of fight will go down in history as a fight like that. And I'm just, I'm glad to be, you know, involved in it, you know, and so, this is not a fight that'll go unnoticed, you know, and it's a lot of people telling me that I really won the fight, you know, so this is a fight that'll go down. I think this is a fight that'll go down in history. And, you know, now, you know, I always want to be in the history books and, you know, I think I am now. And obviously, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult to, to score a fight while you're actually in a fight. I know that we spoke just briefly afterwards and you hadn't yet watched it back. Have you had a chance to sit down, watch it and score it? If not, that's fine. But if you have, then did. let me know. Nope. 
I didn't. I still didn't score the fight yet. No, no. I, I mean, a lot of my people, I still didn't watch the fight. You know, um, I don't know. I just, I'm not interested in watching it right now. You know, I think one day, you know, I'll watch it. But just right now, I'm just not even interested in watching the fight. You know, um, a lot of my people and stuff, they watched it over and over. And it was like, man, you really did win that. They were saying how, you know, the announcers was biased towards him and everything he was doing. And I, 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 you know what, listen, to be honest, I felt like it was going to have to go that way. If I didn't stop him, you know, and I'm not I'm not trying to say, like, it's favoritism and stuff like that, but I knew the crowd. The crowd always will persuade the judges, you know, because I remember, I, I remember vividly it was one time in the fight, like, I slipped a punch and, like, I, I made a miss. And the crowd went crazy. Like, oh. And I remember I slipped the punch. I made a miss. I think he hit me on my shoulder or something like that. And I made a miss the punch, and the crowd went crazy. And I was just thinking, you know, like, you know, the, the judges are only human. You know, it, it wasn't – I'm not going to say it was no favoritism going on over there. Like, like I said, that'll be excuses to say something like that. But still, the judges are human. And, you know, the, I think the judges do – you know, they get – you know, they get persuaded by the crowd also, just like everybody else. So, um um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's just kind of how I feel about it. And do you feel like the result would have been any different had the fight taken place in the States? Because in my opinion, you know, you need to be given credit for traveling here in the first place. Yeah, I think so. I definitely think it would have been a different, I think for sure, I think it would have been a different outcome if the, if the, if it would have been in the States, you know? And I mean, I, I think I would have actually fought different. I, I, I can't even, I, even I'm saying all this about the judges and stuff, I won't blame the judges for that because, you know, they're human and, I still, you know, I still think that um, I fought I fought a wrong fight, too, at the same time. I fought a good fight in a courageous I talked a little bit better about it. I fought a courageous fight, but was it smart? No, it wasn't a smart fight to do. If I if I can really outbox everybody from the outside, that's probably what I need to do, outbox everybody from the outside. I don't have to, tr- I don't have to sit and trade, but my whole thing is, and this is this has been my problem for a long time. It's a, it's a good problem, too, sometimes, but I love to fight. Like, that's what I am naturally. I'm a fighter, and I love to just get in there and just fight. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's not fighting, it's boxing. You know, in, in the sport of boxing, it's, well, it's way more safe than just fighting, you know. Um, but that's just me as a, as in my heart. That's what I love to do. I just love to just fight, and, and that's just that's me, you know. But I think if it was in the States, um, it would have been a different outcome, but it would have out, been a different outlook on, on me. Um, period, you know, um, and I was just, like I said, I just got to my daddy and we were talking about some things, but this training camp, it was just a lot of stuff going on with me, um, and like I said, no excuses, but I just wasn't comfortable, you know, I always, ever since I came up, my training camps has always been at home, always, I was always comfortable, my, I know a lot of fighters, they might, they might travel and, um, you know, they might, they might go away from training camp, away from their families, but me, I have to be at home. I just feel good when I'm at home. And, you know, I wasn't home for like a month and a half from, you know, because I, I, I came to L.A. You know, I mean, I, I started my training camp at home in L.A. for three weeks. And then I went then I went to Houston for two weeks, which I wasn't comfortable. And then I went to London, in which I was really uncomfortable out there, you know, for the other three weeks. And then, you know, of course, I stayed a few days after the fight. So um, it was just, you know, it was a lot of things going on. But I think that, you know, if, if it would have been the States, it probably definitely would have been a little better. Just on my mentally, it would have been better, and I won't even say about the judges, but just mentally on my part, it would have been better. Yeah, I mean, 
<laughs> that that one seventeen one twelve scorecard is just unbelievable, shocking. Um, one thing that I picked up on, I don't know if many other people have picked up on this, but when they interviewed, I think I may have said this to you, but just for those that might have not heard me say it, I said it on the podcast a week or two ago. Um, for those that didn't pick up on it, when they interviewed Shane McGuigan, of course, the trainer of Josh Taylor in the ring after the fight, he went... He went out of his way to say, yeah, it was a really close fight. We had Josh one up going into the final round. And for me, that's something, mm-hmm. you know, why would you say that? You'd say, no, we had him. If if you felt like uh, Josh Taylor won the final round, then you'd have said we had him by two points. But he went out of his way to say we had him one up going into the 12th. Why say that unless you thought perhaps Regis won it and it was a draw, you know? So that kind of spoke to me, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I noticed that. Not a lot of people saw that. Um but yeah, what is next for you, Regis? Obviously, it's early, but do you know already what you want to do next? Um, I'm chilling right now. You know, I, I got you know, I'm back home and I'm back in paradise, back in LA now. So, um, I'm just right now. I'm just chilling, bro. Um, I'm I'm just you know talk to my management team and see what's next. You know, I want I definitely want my belts back. I want to be a world champion again. Um, I think it's inevitable that me and Josh fights again. We have to fight again. The fight was too close. Um, so we definitely have to fight again. Um, but I wanna see what I wanna see what's next for him and I wanna see with with him and Ramirez, if they're gonna fight. If they're not gonna fight then, you know, I wanna fight one of them. I wanna fight one of them. You know, maybe if if him and Ramirez doesn't fight, then I fight Ramirez. And um but you know, at the same time Ramirez is about to fight um he's about to fight post stall next. And that could be that could be a toss up. I think I think Ramirez will win, but you know, it depends on how much post stall has in him left. So um, I, I want to fight the the winner. I definitely want to fight the winner out of Ramirez and Postal, but of course that won't probably happen in, in 2000 until next year sometime. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, I don't know, man. I, I just, I don't know. I don't know what's next for me, but I, I definitely want to be, you know, I, I have to be a world champion again. I have to be, I have to get my belts back. Um, in, in this time, you know, hopefully it'll be more because Ramirez has two, Josh Taylor has the other two. So, I definitely want to be a world champion again. Um, that's my goal for sure. Always been to, you know, be a, a world champion. So I want that. Um, but as far as who and all that, I don't know. We just, I guess I'm just let my management team, you know, see what's up with that. But because I'm about to start traveling stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to Brazil for Christmas. And most likely when I come back from that, that's when, you know, that's when I know something. Excellent. And if 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 you were in in some hypothetical world, if you were Josh Taylor's manager, what would you advise him to do? Would you advise him to take a rematch with you, or go and fight the winner of Ramirez Postal to try and pick up all four of the belts? Um, I I'll tell him go go fight Ramirez for the winner of Ramirez Postal. Not not well if Postal won, no, I don't think so. If I was if Postal won, he already fought Postal. He already beat Postal. It was a close fight, but he already beat Postal. So. I think you know I'll fight. It, the thing about the thing about boxing is, is crazy because you kind of gotta see what everybody else move is gonna be. You have to see. You have to think about. All right, if I'm Josh Taylor, all right, what what's my next move gonna be based on Ramirez's next move, based on Regis's next move. You know that's we still the top three in the division right now. So you still have to um you still have to worry about and see what they're gonna do. But if yeah, if I was Josh Taylor, I I mean maybe he he did have you know hard fights you know he did have a lot of hard fights so maybe they give him you know they give him something you know a little easier and then he'll fight maybe Ramirez um or he can go straight to Ramirez um but if I was his manager 
I wouldn't go straight to Ramirez because that might be another hard fight, you know. And then every time you get in a hard fight, man, it takes something out of you. It definitely will take something out of you. He's he had he got 16 fights, but he's had you know tough fights, a lot of tough fights in his career. So I don't think um I would if I was his manager, you know, I'll I'll, I'll take you know I'll, I'll get paid, take a you know take a probably easier fight and then go after Ramirez or whoever has the belt. But I might you know hopefully if if he doesn't go after Ramirez soon. I'll do it, and then we'll get the rematch. But I know for sure me and him have to get the rematch one day because the fight was just – it was too close. It was a classic fight. It was too close, and I think the fans will definitely demand that fight um, again. I'm sure they will. And talking of managers, Jose Ramirez's manager has come out and said that Ramirez would stop Taylor in six rounds. Your reaction? <laughs> no, I don't think so, man. I, no, I don't think so. I think – I think Josh Taylor be too much for him. Um, what what people don't realize is Taylor's tough. He's very tough. You can you can look at all that stuff on the um the outside, but when it's always a difference when you get on, you know, when you get in the ring. And that's Rick, man. Rick is that's just how he is. He just he's just a talker. He knows how to build fights. He's he's very smart at doing that. He's very smart. But I don't think um no, nah, I don't think Ramirez will beat. You know, I don't think he'll definitely. I, I really don't think that he'll be able to beat Taylor. You know, because Taylor he's good. He's long. He's good on the outside, and he's equally. I think he's very good on the inside. He's better on the inside than he is on the outside, really. So, um, nah, I don't. I don't think so. But if he does, then you know, they, that means he'll be a hell of a fighter, and then I still definitely have to fight him. Javante Davis has decided to call him out as well. Fun and games or serious? I saw that. I saw that. I don't. I think it's fun and games. I mean, he might be serious about it, but I think he's too small, man. I think. Yeah, I think he he might be a little too small and stuff like that. So. Nah, I don't, nah, I don't think so. And the final question, mm-hmm. Regis, I'm asking this to everyone at the minute. I'm trying to gather the predictions here from everyone. Joshua Ruiz, the rematch, December 7th in Saudi Arabia. Who wins, in your opinion? Oh, man, that's that's going to be a tough one, man. Um, I go with Ruiz. You know, I go with Ruiz again. It, like, I was, you know, I was at the fight. I was there at Madison Square Garden. And, um, it just, for me, it just looked like, Anthony Joshua was, he wasn't nervous. He wasn't, he was just so nonchalant. He was just, he, right before the bell rang, he was sitting with his arms on the ropes. Like, he just wasn't about to get in the fight. Like, he was about to spar or something like that. You know, like, Ruiz was bouncing up and down like you're supposed to be. He was ready. And it, I don't, I can't say that, you know, Anthony Joshua took him light. I don't know. I don't know if he took him light or not. Um, You can't say, but it just, that's what it seemed like to me. Um, But at the same time, I still think that Ruiz might have the style to beat him you know he's he might hit him again and has the style to beat him and then that's that first one is going to come back so um it'll be very interesting but i still i go with uh i go with injuries okay a lot of people a lot of people siding with him it seems like it's a bit of a 50 50 split on that one but a brilliant fight we can't wait to see it and just finally regis if you've got any closing words to your uk supporters that that did support you in this fight with taylor and of course will be still supporting you following following on from this yeah i mean i just want to shout out to the uk man like i i, I felt like i didn't feel like of course, I didn't. When I fought out there, I didn't feel like the home fighter. Of course, you know, I was I wasn't comfortable when I was coming out there. But the UK fans made me feel as much comfort as I was gonna feel. You know, I didn't feel I didn't feel like a foreigner. Basically, you know, I got so much love from everybody, and I just didn't. I didn't feel like a foreigner out there. And I just, you know, I I, I would definitely consider coming over there again. You know, um, one day. Now I have to definitely have to be for a lot of money and stuff, but. 
I def I think that you know I will come over there again because the fans just showed me a lot of love and um I just had a great fight you know and 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 most people didn't see but you know the O2 was packed and and when I came out of course you can't see my face because I have the mask on but when I came out and I saw that crowd like all I did is smile I was smiling inside my mask like I was full smiling because I just was you know I was just so excited about you know being in the fight of that magnitude I'd never been in the fight of that magnitude before. And um, some a lot of people were saying I was nervous and stuff, and it just—I mean—that wasn't the case, man. I was just—I was happy. I just couldn't wait. Like, if you see me, you know, right before the fight, right before the bell rang, I'm just warming up. I'm getting ready, and I just couldn't wait. That was, you know, that was a, a dream fight for me, and I just—I loved every second of it, you know. Um, and and the UK was—it was the UK was great to me, and you know, all the fan. It, it didn't seem like I was. It really didn't seem like I was a a foreign fighter, you know. Of course, I was the hometown fighter, but it didn't seem like I was a, a, a American fighter coming over there. You know, it was it was, it was, was all love, and I, I loved it. Excellent, man. Great to hear that. But listen, Regis, I want to thank you so much for giving me some of your time. Best of luck with everything going forward. Enjoy your break. Enjoy Brazil, and we hope that we can speak at some time uh, or some point in the new year. All right, cool, bro. Thank you. Okay, and this wraps up episode 212 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the former WBA super lightweight world champion, Regis Progray, and the heavyweight people's champ, Mr. Michael Hunter. The prediction league currently stands at myself in the lead on 21 points. You, the listeners, are now ahead of Iaz with 16 points. And, of course, Iaz is tracking at the back last place with 15 points. Uh, one fight that of course was missed from the review part of the show, uh, was the the card that took place in Japan. The reason why we missed it out of the review part of the show is because the fight hadn't yet happened. It obviously happened earlier today, and um, when we recorded the review part, which I think was on Tuesday, uh, the fight hadn't happened, but I'm just going to give my my little uh, my little assessment of it here. Uh, the first round, I felt, was a great opening round. You know, it started off a little bit cagey, but then it started to really heat up. Both men were exchanged him. Both men were happy to trade. Nanito took some big shots, seemingly without a problem. Uh, Nanito got through with some some nice shots of his own, some lovely left hooks. Nanito seemed unfazed by the whole thing. It was excellent to see. Uh, the second round, a uh, uh, Nanito Donaire round for me, he was applying that pressure. He was pushing the younger man back. He was old man in him. He was using his experience. He made Inoue hold on for, for, for a second in the round, probably for the first time in his career. And um, he landed a lovely left hook on the button of Inoue, but Inoue took it credit to him. He showed a great chin. Um, Inoue was cut as well in that second round, I think, from his eye and his nose. Donaire just showing the, the massive set of balls that he has. Uh, the third round was an Inoue round for me. He didn't dominate. He was on the back foot, but he picked his shots really nicely. He hit Donaire with a couple of nice counter shots. Um, I felt like he did enough. Again, the fourth round, I'd say Inoue did enough, but Nanita also nailed him with some big singular shots. Donaire has to be respected, you know, doing doing what he did at his age of 36, you know, at a weight that no one even thought he could make, you know, let alone maintain it. He was asking serious questions of Inoue in there. Inoue's power didn't look like much at all. Um, you know, Donaire was taking the shots quite comfortably. Uh, the fifth round was a great round for Inoue. Um, he caught Donaire with a big right hand, and to be fair, his, his legs 
buckled a little bit. Um, Inoue went in for the finish. Donaire went went back to the ropes and even tried to counter Inoue with a monster left hook that just whistled past Inoue's chin. I mean, if that landed, it would have been lights out. Donaire still had his wits about him, clearly. I don't think he was as hurt as he as he appeared to be. Uh, it was a great round, though, but again, I had it to Inoue 4-1. The sixth round, for me, another Inoue round, you know, he was just getting his shots off and getting out of there nicely, getting in and out. The seventh round, uh, that was a point in the fight where, you know, you'd expect Nonito wanted the fight to, to, to kind of get there. You know, the second part of the fight, uh, that's, that's you'd probably say, Nonito's territory. He wanted it to go late, you'd have thought. Uh, Donaire was winning the round early on, but I felt like the Japanese fighter just picked it up in the last minute of the round. He possibly just about nicked it. My scorecard didn't really reflect the competitiveness of the fight, so I had it 6-1 after 7 for Inoue, which sounds awful. The 8th round, that was a huge round for Donaire. Um, could have been a turning point. He started to find Inoue repeatedly with the right hand. All of his attempts throughout the fight in the earlier rounds, trying to find the chin of Inoue with his trademark left hook, was the wrong hand to throw. It seemed like the right hand was really working for him. He was nailing Inoue. Inoue's eye um, opened back up the cut, because I felt like the corner had done a good job of fixing both cuts, the nose and the uh, um, and and the uh, and the eye. You know, they stopped they stopped the bleeding, and they did a great job in the corner. But he opened the cuts back up here in the eighth round. Um, Inoue's um, chin got checked a few times. Donaire, you know, he was he was certainly checking not just only the chin, but also the heart of Inoue after dominating the fight. You know, pretty much, especially on my card. You know, it was a real turning point. Donaire seemed like he faded, but he was back. Um, that was it for the eighth round. The ninth round, wow. I mean, Donaire forced Inoue to hold on. The cuts were worsening yet again. Inoue looked shaken to his boots twice in the round. It was an unbelievable performance at that point from Donaire. 6-3, I had it after nine rounds. The tenth round, credit to Inoue. He came out, he boxed excellently. He came out and looked as fresh as he looked uh, probably in the first round or the second round. He was stepping in and out. He landed shots. Um, and, and was getting out of there. He seemed to stun Donaire as well late in the round. Inoue honestly looked like he'd been given an energy shot or something in between rounds. I mean, it was unreal how fresh he looked. It was almost as if they'd uh, they'd swapped him for for a twin brother who 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 had equally the same amount of talent. It was unbelievable. Brilliant round from, from Inoue so late in the fight. Uh, the 11th round, of course, that was where Donaire did get knocked down. It was a huge body shot. It was a left hook to the body of Donaire. He, he took a knee, got up at about 10. Um, I felt he should have been counted out. I think the referee even said 10. I don't really think Donaire wanted wanted to continue, if I'm being honest. I mean, he got back up. He, he looked he looked there for the taking, but somehow he did survive the round. He even landed a huge left hook counter, but a big round there, of course, a 10-8 round for Inoue. And then in the 12th round, not really not really much action in the in the final round. Um, it was another round for Inoue, though. So on my card, I had it nine rounds to three with one 10-8 round in there for Inoue. So very wide on my card, but um, just absolute credit to to Donaire. I'm a, I'm a lover of Donaire. I love Donaire. Great, great guy. One of the nicest guys in boxing. And, you know, he had a bit of an easy path to the final, to be honest. Let's let's be real. Um, no one said he'd make the weight at bantamweight. No one, no one thought he would do it. He went in there. He fought Ryan Burnett. It was a good fight. It was just warming up. And then Burnett had the freak injury. So Donaire won. He was a bit lucky to, to win a world title that night. Then he was supposed to take on Zelani Tete. Zelani Tete pulled out in fight week. He ended up fighting Stephen Young, who didn't have much notice. He knocked him out uh, devastatingly. And then he found his way to the final without really beating anyone 
you know, like he, he didn't he didn't really beat Burnett convincingly because of the injury. He didn't get to fight Tete. Those were mouth-watering fights. He saw himself in Japan on a Thursday, um, you know, against the monster that is Inoue, and he put on a brilliant fight. He showed us all that he was a worthy finalist, and I think he, you know, he solidifies himself. He should stay at bantamweight because he's a real problem. He probably beats anyone at that weight, aside from um, aside from Inoue. I mean. Go after the other champions all all day long. He's he's one of the best fighters at that weight. It's shocking at 36 years of, years of age. He's a he's a complete uh, future Hall of Famer for sure. Um, but yeah, that was my that was my assessment of the fight itself. Um, of course, there has been one or two pieces of news as well that have broken whilst we've been recording the show. Daniel Dubois will be fighting on December 21st at the Copper Box Arena. His opponent has now been named. It's Kayataro Fujimoto of Japan. Uh, the full undercard is going to get announced on Monday at a press conference. And talking of press conferences, Eddie Hearn is set to announce a blockbuster fight tomorrow at a press conference. I'm really unsure of who it's going to be, actually. Um, and also, following Inoue's win over Denaire, he actually signed a contract. He needed to get the win for it to be triggered, but he's now signed to top rank. Um, he's he's going to fight three times in 2020, including two fights in America at the start of the year. And then I think he's going to have a homecoming fight at the end of the year in Japan. But that is a about everything from me tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend enjoy your weekends people thank you all so much for listening to this week's podcast and we shall hopefully see you all again next week